This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. All right, H-Town Hoops podcast. Brandon Scott, Adam Spolane. Coming off another Rockets win. Man, the Rockets have actually won back-to-back games. They were dominant Tuesday night against the Suns. They won 111-97 to in Stephen Silas's first game back since the death of his father. Um, he missed the, the Milwaukee game, but the, the Rockets have won back-to-back games, three of their last four, and uh, they're 6-4 and four in their last 10 games. So pretty good stretch here for the Rockets. This is I want to say seven straight home games for them and it's five more left adam i wanted to ask you which of these five games are you most looking forward uh, or should you say are, are fans should most be looking forward to uh through uh if you look at the heat on thursday um uh, you, you know you've got the, the the blazers spurs and magic which one would you say is the one to most look forward to uh, for this next f- uh, five game stretch, I'm always looking in the present, so I'm always looking towards the, the game that's coming up, and that would be Miami on uh, on Thursday night. And, and a big reason is we're, the Rockets are going to be going to be challenged a little differently than they've been challenged here during this stretch, and they are going to face a team that plays a lot of zone defense. No one plays more zone defense than the Heat. No one has seen less zone defense than the Rockets. So they've actually had some a little bit of success against zone this season in the limited amount of possessions that they faced it. So I'm just interested to see how they respond and how they deal with that because these next two games that they play, Miami and Portland, these are the two teams that play zone the most. So I, it's, it's a very small thing, but I'm interested just to see how the offense runs, how things uh, look uh, when they are faced with something different. Yeah, I, I think that's actually an interesting one because they're I'm trying to remember which game that was. Maybe it was the Milwaukee game where they won without shooting particularly well from the three-point line. And I know that uh, Jabari Smith, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a second, about Jabari shooting well from the three. But um, but I, I, like, I think this will be an, an interesting challenge for them uh, as a team that, uh, you know, we talked about this in the last – episode I want to say about you know when they win games it's usually when they're shooting threes and hitting a lot of threes and I want to want to see what it looks like when you know their game is slowed down a little bit because we know what what do they do well you know run up and down the floor and you know especially when their defense is working uh getting point cheap points in transition but when they're forced to kind of bog down and make good decisions because the zone does challenge you to do that 
to make good passes and to take good shots. Uh, I, I wanted, I would want to see how they respond, especially as a young team that seems to be developing and like they're in the right direction. Yeah, and I want to see how they move around without the basketball because I do think the one trap that you fall into against the zone is that you just wind up settling for threes because that's the shot that's given to you. But I want to see how they utilize the middle of the floor, especially with Shingun. And so can they get Shingun the ball in the paint, and then can he make plays for other people just moving without the basketball? So that's one of the things that I would just like to see. I'd like to see if they've uh, maybe matured in that degree with the offense. Uh, it's asking a lot. Again, it's you don't prepare a, a whole lot for zone during the season. They haven't fa- Again, they haven't faced it very much, and they are going into this game without a practice. They'll have a shoot-around tomorrow. but So they'll have a little bit of time to just – you know, work on some stuff and to um, kind of get into their zone offense a little bit. But, you know, for the most part, this is going to be new tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so let's look back here. As I mentioned before, they were dominant against the Suns on Tuesday night. The Suns did not have Devin Booker. Um, uh, before I ask you what you learned about the Rockets from that night and and this is going to be a common question that we ask here on the podcast, but I'll just say the thing that stood out to me was the fact that they were good from start to finish. I think that that's been an issue for the Rockets at times, like either it's starting games or finishing games uh, one way or the other. But, you know, that was what stood out to me was that this was a game that they were, they, that they seemed consistent throughout. Um, and I wanted to see what, what what necessarily stood out to you in, in the Rockets went over the Suns and what what did we learn necessarily about the Rockets in that in that game? Yeah, I thought they did play 48 minutes of really good defense. I, you look at how they started the game where Phoenix starts out by missing their first five shots and they shot 32 percent in the first quarter and then they shoot three of 25 in the second quarter. Um, there were a little, there were some lapses late in the game, but to build up the lead that the way, the way that they did in the first half, and they took a punch uh, to start the second half. Phoenix came out and hit their first, uh, hit, hit a couple of threes to begin the half, but the Rockets absorbed that and they were able to recover and keep the lead right where it was. And Phoenix got into it a little, it made it a little closer in the fourth quarter. The Rockets did some, you know, they made some young team mistakes, but I thought for the most part, the defense for 48 minutes was really, really good. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. thought it was the best defensive game that they've played this season. I don't know if I'd go that far. I think that you can probably argue that the Milwaukee defense, the defense against Milwaukee on Sunday might've been better. Phoenix did miss a lot of open looks. I mean, they, they, they missed a lot of open looks, but those were the shots that the Rockets wanted them to take. So on one hand, Phoenix missed some open shots, and a lot of that had to do with no Booker on the floor. And Mikael Bridges had just a, a lousy game. He started out the game one for 18. But when you wall off the paint the way that they did and you hold the team to 30 paint points, that's really impressive. And I know that they didn't have Aiton for part of the game, but Aiton was completely ineffective in the first half when he did play before he got hurt. So it's overall a, a really solid defensive game. And I think that that's, again, 
you're, you're trying to build on this. You see them play a really good defensive game against Milwaukee on Sunday. You're asking the question, can they build on that? Can they play another good defensive game? And they did against a team that was missing its best player. But a lot of times you see it where a team is missing its best player. The opponent falls asleep a little bit and they don't come out with the right energy. That was not the case last night. Yeah, and, and I would say no matter which way you look at, like no matter what angle you look at it with, Devin Booker being out, like you could say, you know, maybe the, maybe the Rockets are supposed to. If you think that the Rockets are supposed to win a game like that when a team is missing its best player, well, look at how they played defensively for 48 minutes, you know. And, and if you think the other way that they're still outmatched even without Devin Booker, if you say, you know, DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul out there still constitutes a, a team that is far better than what the Rockets are, then you have to be impressed with the Rockets overachieving a little bit. It's kind of consistent with what with what they've been over the last, you know, yeah, I guess 10 games or so. Like we mentioned that they're they're six and four, six and four in their last 10 games. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh, Jabari Smith, look, I know that we talked a lot about Jabari in the last episode. And look, I don't think we can talk about him too much, you know, with him being the, the top rookie on the team right now. But... I did want to point out how well he is shooting it from three the last, you know, 10 or 11 games or so. Um, He had that one rough box score game that we talked about in a previous episode when he was excellent defensively against Milwaukee and how he how he guarded Giannis. But he's hit threes. uh, He's hit at least three threes in um, or he's hit he's hit threes in. let's see, nine of his last 11 games, at least three threes in nine of his last 11 games. And he's shooting 46.2% from from deep in that time span. So 46% from three in the last 11 games. Um, He's also getting to the free throw line more, uh, 19 free throws in the last four games after having none in the previous four games before that. So... um, Anything more on Jabari and what you noticed from him uh, specifically on uh, on Tuesday? I think the the development of just getting to the free throw line a little bit more matters. I'm not I, I was never worried about the three point shot. I knew that was going to fall and he's going to get his opportunities. I think the big thing is that he never lost confidence in that shot. He never hesitated when the shot was there. He took it. I think there might have been a couple of times early in the season where he passed on some good looks. He's not doing that anymore. Um, and it's he can get his shot up against basically anyone because he's six foot eleven or whatever he is, and it's really hard to to contest that. So uh, the three point shooting was always going to be there. It was always going to be a big part of his game. But for to see him get to the line, I think that's important because teams are going to close out long on him. It's going to give him some opportunities to put the ball on the floor and maybe try and get to the rim a little bit. And he can also uh, be a factor on the offensive glass and draw fouls that way. So 
you don't just want him to be a spot up three point shooter. He can do that, but he can also do some other things on the floor. And you're seeing just a lot more. I think his game is a little more well rounded than people gave it credit for when he came out of the draft, and then just with the way that he started the season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So before we move on to the next thing, while we're still on uh, talking about the game Tuesday, I want to mention this about the backup point guard situation with with Daisha Nix. Uh, Why do you think we haven't seen or maybe perhaps didn't see in a game where maybe there was an opportunity to do so, haven't seen more of uh, Josh Christopher or Ty Ty Washington? Uh, we've talked about the stuff with Christopher. He just he's not a point guard, and they I think they've given that a shot, but it, it just I just don't think that they can rely on him and they feel confident enough in him to be able to run an offense to give him that opportunity. Uh, he had a, he's he's had chances in the past and it just hasn't worked, um, and he doesn't shoot shoot it well enough to to get you know minutes off the ball. I, I do think we'll see what the Ty Ty Washington thing. Um, he's been up for about a week, so they've had a chance to see him now in a bunch of practices and a bunch of shoot-arounds just to get a, a better feel of where he is. But it can be really dangerous to just completely give up on a player who's 20 years old after, you know, what, 25 games or whatever this is. And Knicks is a guy who they they really uncovered uh, last year. He was undrafted. They really liked him. And he spent all of last year pretty much in the G league and he was really good in the G league and played at a high level enough to the point to where they gave him a long-term contract. And they're not going to just say, well, especially on this, on this team, there's no reason to just completely give up on a guy. And, you know, I I see, listen, I see a lot of the stuff and and I'm not in, I've done it too. A lot of people clamoring that, Hey, it's enough with Dacia Nix, but these are the same people that were demanding that he be on the floor last year. So you got to give him a chance. He's going to, you know, there's there's going to be failure. I mean, that's just how it is when you're 20 years old trying to play the position for the trying to play the position at this level for the first time. You're going to fail. It's going to be rough at times, but you just have to let him play through it, and you have to let him learn. And it's going to look bad sometimes, and maybe it will always look bad, but you have to at least give it a chance. And for me, two dozen games isn't giving it a chance especially on a team that really isn't trying to, this is about developing and about saying what you have. And they got plenty of time to figure out what Ty Ty Washington is. And, you know, I I remember Ty Ty Washington missed a good portion of training camp. He was hurt during training camp. So I I do think that he's probably, they're probably trying to get his sea legs under him and to get him on the same page with everyone else. Um, But Nick's has been in the program now for a while and he knows exactly what they want to do. Again, it hasn't looked good. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it has, um, but he shot the ball well, and he can at least you know get you into your offense a little bit. And I do think that's one thing that doesn't really show up on a box score is being able to get you organized offensively. And while it might look ugly at times, he's 20. He's 20 years old, and you've got to just you got to you got to go through the growing pains. That's just how this is. Yeah, I, I am definitely one of the guys that was much more intrigued by Dacia Nix last year than I am this year. I'm, I am 
one of the guys that wanted to see more of him last year and want to see less of him this year. And I, and I think that thank God for you, Adam, to speak to, you know, patience and, and maybe just a, a little context here of, you know, the fact that they're still trying to develop these guys because, you know, it's, it's not for me, I don't know if it's necessarily about quitting a guy, but, but wanting to see, you know, see, see, haven't seen enough of what you're seeing right now and maybe wanting to see more of something else, you know? And I think, I think also when you're developing and when you've got so many young players, there's a, there's an itch for that to want to see all of them and you, you can't play everybody, you know, and, and, and you wish that there was minutes to go around for everybody. So you could kind of just do the experiment with everybody, but there's only, but, so many minutes to go around. So I think that's that's part of it. Yeah. And they only let you play five at a time. And so that's right. That's exactly. the thing. You're only allowed to play five at a time. It's only 48 minutes in the game. And I do think that people watch Knicks on the floor and it doesn't look great. You know, he, yeah. he doesn't have he doesn't have the classic NBA body. So you know you're you're kind of thinking, well why why are we even messing with this guy? Because I think that a lot of times when people people saw the numbers that he was putting up in the G League last year, like, oh, wow, this guy can really play. And then you, you look at him up close, you're like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't really see it. But again, you have to, you have to give it a chance. And this is really the first time that he's playing actual organized basketball. I mean, he was in the G League, you know, he, he did not go to college. He went to the G League at night. And then last year he's playing in the G League. You know, it's a lot different at this level and you got to get used to that. And again, you got to let him grow a little bit. You've, you've got to let him have these types of nights where it's, where it looks ugly and, there will be plenty of opportunities for other guys, but you do need to see what you have in Dacian Nix because the other thing with his contract, there's basically options every year from here on out, you know, for the next three, for the next uh, two or three years after this. And so they need to know, is this guy somebody worth picking up the option on for next year, the $2 million option or whatever it is for next year. Like they, they need to know if, if he's worth it. And so that's why you're going to continue to see him play. I thought that when they brought up Ty Ty Washington, it was because, it was because it was he was going to be getting minutes at the backup point guard spot, but it looks like they're going to continue to let Dacian Nix play. And hey, that's what this season's about. All right, Adam, we have a news item that we just didn't have time to get to when we talked last on Monday, but it it, it leads me into I'm taking this news item and I'm going to localize it and lead me into a, a question because it's hot take time, Adam. And and so this is going to lead me into it. But the, the news item is that Kate Cunningham, the number one overall pick in the last draft, is is out for the season. It looks like he's going to have season ending surgery for, uh, with a uh, a shin injury. Uh, he's been out with a shin. And so uh, so no, so no more Kate Cunningham this year. Um, but there's there's always going to be the debate with Jalen Green and. He's been excellent. I mean, for our purposes here and what we talk about, Jalen Green has been really good. We talked about it before, showing signs of of really being that frontline guy that you sort of build your franchise around, build your team around. And I asked this question, man, in part because we all know, you know, Jalen Green finished fourth in the rookie of the year voting last year. Uh, but right now feels like, at least to me, and I, I'm not going to pretend that I watch all the other guys every night, that I watch Evan Mobley every night. I've seen him. I'm not going to pretend like I watch Scotty Barnes every night or this entire rookie class every night the way I do Jalen Green. 
but I do think it's a, a question worth asking. Is Jalen Green the best rookie from this class right now? I know I know at the time in the draft that you were an Evan Mobley guy, and Evan Mobley certainly makes a case right now to be that guy that is the best in this draft class. But where are you right now in terms of where Jalen Green stacks up with the rest of this class? Not that it matters for the Rockets, I get it. But as a talking point, where do you where do you feel like he, he sort of measures up? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question, and it, I, I think it's hard to get a read on still, just because Evan Mobley and Jalen Green are asked to do completely different things on their teams. I mean, Evan Mobley is on a team with two All Star guards. Jalen Green is not on a team with any All Stars, so Jalen Green's job is a little bit tougher. Now, would Jalen Green thrive in Cleveland right now? If you, if you had those two switch places. Would Green thrive in Cleveland? Absolutely. Would Mobley thrive here? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So I, I do think it's really hard to compare these guys just to, because of the situations are, are so different. I, I do think that Green stock is definitely higher today than it was, uh, let's say, even back in, in April because he has really – he's developing nicely and he's getting better, uh, which is what you want to see. Um I think that Franz Wagner has had a really good year for Orlando. I, that doesn't mean I would take Franz Wagner over over Jalen Green, but I mean it's a really good class. The the 2021 draft class, I think we thought it was good at the time, and it has not disappointed one bit where it's Josh Giddey's playing really well with Oklahoma City. Uh, I think the one guy that's been disappointing is Jalen Suggs uh, with Orlando, and he's the guy who, fall, who fell a little further than I think people thought. Scotty Barnes hasn't had a great year, though, in Toronto. The Raptors have been pretty disappointing, but again – Scotty Barnes is asked to do a lot less in Toronto because of who they already have on the roster, as opposed to Jalen Green, who is essentially he doesn't necessarily get all the shots here, but he is the best player here. Scotty Barnes, I don't think, is the best player in Toronto. I don't think Evan Mobley is the best player in Cleveland. Cunningham is probably the best player in Detroit when he plays. I think uh, Josh Giddey's not the best player in Oklahoma City. Um, I don't think Franz Wagner is the best player in Orlando. That's probably Bancaro at this point. So I, I think it's really tough to say. I, I still think that Green has the highest ceiling out of everyone in the class just because of the scoring ability. I don't think that there is anyone else in that draft class who could score 30 in, in a season or who could average 30 points for a season. I think Green is the one guy who could, who could do that. So that's why I think that you can say that in terms of offensive ceiling, I think that he probably has the chance to be the best. So, so I don't know who the best player in that class is just because they're all being asked to do different things. Yeah. But because of that, that's why I think the the conversation really comes back to green and Cunningham, because I think that they're the most comparable in terms of their situation and being the best player on their team and being asked to do, to do the most, like as the number one and number two picks respectively, from that class, they are being asked to come in there and and essentially save the franchise, be the guy that they build things around or build the franchise around. And then Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes and Franz Wagner and guys like that are are being asked to do more of the Jabari Smith Jr. type of thing and, and come in and be be a an essential piece and 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 and, and maximize potential there. But but you're you are more a little bit more supplemental than you are the centerpiece you know and so and so i've always thought that that was going to be sort of more the comparison that's why with with cunningham being out you know right now like that debate is going to be 
one that you have for years, but for obviously for right now with the with the availability, I mean, he's averaging he's played what 12 games this year, averaging close to 20 points a game. And Jalen Green's right around 21. I think that's right. Um, has has he played? I, I feel like Kate's played at least about 12 games. So, but either way, like the, where they are right now is Jalen Green having more availability and and being sort of in that position to uh, to to I, I I guess right now sort of flip the narrative from fourth in rookie of the year voting. Of course, that's not the end all be all or anything like that. But fourth and rookie of the year voting to, to less than a year later, uh, looking like the player that, like you said, could average 30 points a game. Yeah. And, and right now, I mean, Cunningham will finish the season averaging 20 a game. He has not shot the ball well. But, you know, a big a big reason why teams like Cunningham was because of his ability to defend. And, and he's got really good size for a guard compared to Green, you know, 18 months ago. Green's a lot bigger today than he was 18 months ago. So I do think that that has moved things in, in his direction when you want to have the debate between the two. So if I were drafting right now, if it's me and I, and let's say, let's say Cunningham is healthy, I would probably go green over Cunningham. But part of that is that I see green play every single night and I really don't get to see Cunningham play all that much, but I don't think that I would be interested just to hear from, you know, what some scouts and whatnot would say around the league if they had to do it over again, because I do think that, it, it felt like the majority would have gone Cunningham over Green, and, of course, he got drafted ahead of Green. But I do wonder if that's flipped a little bit here as we're, what, 18 months away, 18 months you know, after those two were drafted. Definitely. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I want to switch over to, to Kevin Porter Jr. And I think this is maybe an ongoing conversation that we can have about KPJ because we we talked about him earlier on in, in the podcast when we first kind of got going and you know I, I saw this and I've, I've seen a little bit of this in, in different places of you know Kevin Porter Jr. pushed back as the point guard and I and I really don't get it because I feel like when I watch Kevin Porter Jr. He's someone who has improved. Like I've said this before, he and Jalen Green both do at least one or two maddening things per game. But specific to Kevin Porter Jr., I feel like when I watch him, he's somebody who has improved each year that he's been here. And, and, and for me, on the point guard conversation, I feel like he's shown that like he's good enough to where he's good enough with the ball to where it doesn't really matter to me whether he's a traditional point guard. He's more of just somebody who, like, if he's on your team, if he is going to be on your team, he's somebody that you want to have the ball in his hands. Period. Like point guard, two guard, combo guard, how whatever kind of system that you're running, whatever sets that you're running, he's somebody that you want to have the ball in his hands. Like, do you think that it matters that 
KPJ is not a traditional point guard or if he never looks like a traditional point guard? No, because there really are no traditional point guards anymore. There right. aren't a lot of Chris Paul, John Stockton type of guys who are going to, you know, average 12 assists a game or whatever. You know, they, those guys, that's just not how the game is played anymore. The, I do think the one thing, it's not that, I don't think that it drives people crazy about the whole point guard thing. It's that he takes too many shots where, and he's out shooting Jalen Green. I think that's what people have the problem with. And I do think that's the one thing that he's got to recognize a little bit more is on nights like last night where Jalen Green is playing really well. And I know Jalen Green didn't shoot the ball well, but he was getting to the rim nonstop against Phoenix and he's getting to the free throw line nonstop. That's where Porter needs to understand, you know what? I can't take this pull up 16 footer. I can't do it early in the shot clock. I need to get the ball to Jalen Green and let him go to work. I think that's the one area that he needs to recognize. And again, this is just part of youth and understanding, you know, your teammates a little bit better. So I don't, I don't think that it really matters if he ever looks like a traditional point guard. I just think that he needs to understand that he's not the best player on the floor, that the best player on the floor in all likelihood is going to be Jalen Green. And his job is to put Jalen Green and everybody else in the right position. So I do think that one of the things that Porter needs to work on is score less, look to score less, you know, look to score, but, you know, also look to get everyone else involved, look to get the offense organized and then worry about your shot. The shot's going to be there for him. He's going to get his opportunities, but he also needs to look to get everyone involved just a little more often. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe that is where, where the drop-off is as not being a traditional point guard, maybe having a scorer's mentality. Uh, you know, he doesn't have maybe the best sense for, for when that is or the, the, the greatest balance for what's doing too much versus what's like helping, you know, like to me, not to get try to get in KPJ's head, but to me it seems like he he views himself as more of a yin to the yang. You know, like if if he's also scoring, it's taking some kind of load off of whoever else is supposed to, whether it's Jalen Green or whatever it is. Like, and, you know, instead of being more of the facilitator, but I do think that there are also games where where he's better with that, um, but but also does need to be better that, with that in terms of awareness. One thing I'll say for him, though, as well, though, like in terms of his improvement is also defensively. I think he's a much better defensive player. I think we've talked about this some as well, but he's a better defensive player, and and that, I think, is, is helping the Rockets as well uh, in, in terms of just how how much better that they that they've looked as of late. And I think the big thing too for him is be aggressive offensively. By all means, be aggressive, but attack downhill. You know, no, no, no long twos, no mid-range twos early in the shot clock. I think if he cut that out of his game, it would change things a lot for the better offensively because now he's getting to the rim. It's hard to stay in front of him, and he's really strong. He can absorb some contact, so he's going to get to the free throw line a little bit more often if he does that. And then it also uh, really puts a lot of pressure on the defense to have to worry about him and worry about Jalen Green playing downhill. So if he plays downhill a little bit more, then you can you, you can accept maybe him taking more shots than Jalen Green on a given night. But the the pull up twos that's not going to work. And I do think that's one that's something that he probably needs to cut out of his game. Yeah, the, 
Jalen Green's his shot is going to get better and better. I think it's gotten better since he, you know, first got to the league and he's strong. We've talked about his body being different and him being stronger. That's helped him. That's helped him both playing downhill, helped him defensively, um, and I think helped his shot as well. But um, but both of them, I think, could stand to be less in love with. I I, I want them to be aggressive as well, but I, I want them to be less in love with that outside shot. KPJ more so of that step back or step to the side three pointer that he loves so much that he that he does also hit from time to time. But but I agree with you, man, in terms of him being somebody who could really do more damage downhill. Um, there's that there's that clip of Damian Lillard. They're gonna play, they're gonna play the the, the Blazers here pretty soon. And there's that clip of Damian Lillard talking about KPJ being one of the harder guys in the league to guard, someone who's really crafty, got a lot of moves and and can do a lot of things offensively. And and I think that I think that he's just aware of that. And, and, and maybe maybe to a fault, maybe too aware uh, of the fact that he's hard to guard and, and make sometimes it makes him hard, makes it hard for him uh, to, to to not take shots or, or to, to, to not kind of uh, pull punches a little bit and let let Jalen let Jalen Green cook from time to time. Fifth, more than 15 percent of Porter shots basically come from the free throw line. And I'm not talking about free throws. I'm talking about like jumpers from the free throw line. Those aren't good shots. Right. They just aren't. And he's only shooting 45% on those looks. Just cut those out. Get rid of those shots and focus on the restricted area. And he, he's not finishing real well either. I do think that's another problem is that he's not finishing well at the rim you know, from the restricted area. He's at 51% league average is 59.6%. So that's one area where he needs to get better because when you, as a point guard, when you're not making shots at the rim, your, your transition defense gets compromised because there's really only the one guy to get back. And now all of a sudden your floor balance is off. So I do think that if he improves that, he, he needs to really improve those. There's three areas that I think he really needs to improve on. Cut out the turnovers. You're going to have some as a point guard. That's just how it is. But maybe not for a game. Let's try and cut that down to three. So let's cut that down by 25%. Get rid of those free throw line twos. Just just erase that from, from your repertoire. And then let's get to league average in the restricted area. If he does those three things, he's a completely different player. I think if he does the second thing, it can help the third thing. Like get get rid of those free throw mid-range twos that are bad shots and do more like just do more of the restricted area stuff. And if not, just the percentages will go up. I just think the like just doing more of that, the repetition will make him better at it. Like he will be better finishing at the rim, having doing having done it more and doing it more. So 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 maybe that's the that's the answer for for KPJ and his game. All right, man. That is the H Town Hoops podcast. Brandon Scott, Adam Spillane got the Miami Heat on Thursday, and then the Portland Trailblazers. Portland Trailblazers on Saturday. We will talk to you guys next week. Make sure that you are subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast. Uh, follow us on social media at Brandon K Scott on Twitter at Adam Spillane on Twitter. And we also got Austin Mendez producing this bad boy. We appreciate you, Austin, uh, for all the work that you do. And until next time, y'all be good.